Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're queer. We're geeks. We're queeks. Superheroes, Star Wars, Broadway, Drag Race. So if you're super gay, super nerdy, or anything in between, listen to Queeks today. Wherever fine podcasts are sold. And find us on Instagram at Queeks Podcast. Hello, Black Lives Matter. Seems quite fitting that Pride Month this year involves protests centred around black people fighting for equal rights, since that's how Pride itself started. Every white LGBTQ person, including me, needs to know and be reminded that it is in large part because of queer people of colour that we have the rights we have today. And that saying Black Lives Matter isn't anything to do with me as a white person is fundamentally untrue. And if you can't see that, then you're part of the problem. So, for me and my fellow honkies, now would be a great time to Google how to be a better ally. I'm reliably informed that the first step is realise that you might be a little bit racist. And that's okay, as long as you acknowledge it and work to be better. Because a lot of damage comes from people who think, oh, I can't be racist, I've got a black friend. But don't stop there, there are plenty of other steps that are all equally important. And don't wait for a black person or a person of colour to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's not their job. It's on you to do the work, educate yourselves, and be there for people who need our support. Speaking of support, I'd just like to remind my black LGBTQ siblings that I'd love to hear from you if you have a story to tell. Whether that's about racism, your experience of being black and queer, or just that time someone just in your eye and you thought you were going to go blind. There's a link on the website, so probablytruepodcast.com. Time for this week's Patreon compliments. Now, I'm not saying that James Kingdon doesn't steal all the covers, but if he does, then he's thoughtful enough to make sure there's a spare blanket nearby for anyone that might need it. And as for Stephen Brunwasser, well, he has the kind of dress sense that means he looks good wherever he goes. Just effortless style. You can get your own compliment by signing up at patreon.com slash probably true. Patreon subscribers also get access to the full version of this episode, which was recorded as a one-hour live episode as part of the Rise and Shine podcast festival earlier this year. Due to some technical fuckery, it is very obvious that we recorded the whole thing over Zoom, but hopefully you can still enjoy it. If not, then buy me and Sasha a drink and we'll reenact it for you in real life one day. This is going so well, isn't it? Hang on. You're listening to the live episode of Probably True. Shut up. <laughs> Everything is going exactly as planned. Joining me for this extra special, super sexy episode is the lovely, the handsome, the talented Sasha. Hi, Sasha. How are you doing? Hello. That was a lovely introduction. I, I could do with all of those little epitaphs. Thank you. Well, I, you've earned them all. You are lovely. You are talented. And um, I mean, I've told you you're handsome before. It's getting boring. You <laughs> stop, man. Especially Thank as you keep you. insisting on being married, you know, rude. <laughs> For a first ever live lockdown, probably true. Sasha, tell us your story. Start us off by painting a picture. Where are we? What's happening in the world in this story? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to paint you a word picture. Don't worry, I'm, I'm okay. good at doing that. Uh, so I thought about what I wanted to talk about. And I was thinking I could have done a dodgy relationship, you know, some kind of bit of sexy sauciness, which is always funny. But then I thought I would go somewhere that was like, I don't know, something that I want to talk about and I thought could be a little bit relatable. Um, and I was also thinking a bit about some of the young queer folk who are locked down with families who maybe don't support them and don't get them and don't fully let them be who they are. Um, and so maybe, maybe, just maybe this will resonate. So it's kind of a pre-coming out story. So it's my experience of about the age of 14 up to about 18 of being gay um, and sort of some of the weird stuff that sort of went on. So one of the things was I um, I diagnosed myself with homosexuality. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, my parents had this old book on the shelf and it was called um, The Family Doctor. And it was like from the 80s and you could like follow a flow chart like, you know, oh, I've got genital warts or oh, oh dear, I've got, you know, some other unfortunate disease. And for some reason, as a weird kid, I loved to sit and diagnose myself with stuff like, what if my toes were dropping off? But what if they've gone purple, not black? Well, that means I've got gout and that kind of thing. I actually I really enjoyed this book in a really strange way. But this time, I just finished watching, I think it was an episode of Horizon. This would have been like the early 2000s. Um, and they had an episode about puberty. And it was like mm. the science of puberty, uh, where they did big, badly, early 2000s animations of testosterone and estrogen rushing through your bloodstream and massive boobs and you know all of that sort of stuff so I, we were, I was watching this and it was very much talking about this is how young boys develop and this is how young women develop and this is what puberty does and it was very very heteronormative so the teenage boy who was my age he was 14 he goes to the swimming pool and he sees like the girl that he fancies and he gets a stiffy whilst he's swimming. And then you see a big animation of how erections happen. And I remember thinking, that's, that's not, that's not how it is for me. When I'm going swimming, that's not what's going on. That's not my feeling. So I went downstairs after the episode and picked up the family doctor book and I went <laughs> to like, loads of different things i think i diagnosed probably myself with like chronic diarrhea or some urinary tract infection prior to getting to homosexuality um but they had this one thing which was about sex and sexuality and i and clearly was a bit ashamed to be so i hid away looking at this in my bedroom snuck it out of my parents bookshelf and managed to get myself down to the bit where it said um do you find that you've been attracted to the same sex since puberty I was like, well, I guess I'm kind of there now. So I went, yes. And then it was like, homosexuality, page 435. So I wow. scrolled to my page there and where I got a very kind of like a nice little box, which told me that I had a terminal case of the gay. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So it's, it is fatal. Well, in the end, you know, after hopefully a long and healthy life. Um, but yeah. That's what happened. So that was my first encounter with homosexuality was with a really weird 1980s medical textbook. <laughs> I, I hope once you'd kind of diagnosed it and you'd, you'd got this answer, you didn't kind of go, well, I must be if it's in the book. I better start fancying boys. I hope it was the other way around and you were kind of into boys and you needed to be, it to be allowed rather than just they know best, nom, 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 nom. It, uh, maybe some people will associate with this. I hear some of my friends 
um, had said that they knew that they liked boys since they were seven and they can remember fancying whatsoever some some other boy from sports day or something. It wasn't like that for me. My sexuality kind of crept up on me. Uh, it was always there. So I used to sit and watch Live and Kicking. God, there's a lot of references here. I'm so sorry, Gen, Gen Zers that are listening to this. Um, no, fuck them. They're young. <laughs> exactly. They don't deserve this content. Um, <laughs> but they had um, Superman on in the morning. And I used to watch it religiously, even though I hated superheroes. At that age, I thought superheroes were really naff. But I know, I know, I've changed. I've grown. I've grown to appreciate them like a fine wine. But the uh, but Superman I used to watch all the time. I used to be like, why am I so into the episodes where Clark Kent takes his top off? Why? What, what is that? Hmm. That's that's so, then, that's a mystery. No, it really was. Like for most people now, now it seems so obvious. Like you go, you like it, you fancy it. But remember, th- this was a different time. In even only what twenty five years ago, we didn't talk about sexuality as this fluid thing. I was just kind of convinced, oh, maybe, maybe I want to be him. Maybe I want to, maybe I just think he's really cool. I was very confused by it. So up until this point, every little like feeling I'd had towards a man or someone of the same like gender, I was, um, I was convinced it was something else and it would just go away. Like it was this weird distraction, but suddenly I'd want to have a wife and kids and that would just someday it would just snap in. And it was when I got to 14 and watched this puberty episode and was like, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm getting boners. I've had wet dreams. I'm clearly going through puberty and I still don't fancy girls, but I quite like the boy in this program. Right. Okay. There's, there's an issue. This is not what I planned. And that was the feeling after I diagnosed myself. It was like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> shit. I don't know how to do gay. No one's told me how to do gay. From yeah. my experience, they mostly just lay there. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so how did you figure it out? How did you find your take your first little steps into working out how to do gay? At well, 14, I, I mean, not at like 18 when you're going to clubs and getting bummed in the alley behind the bins. But, you know, just when you're in the club. When, before that, when you're younger and just kind of finding your way in the world. I'm just going to say... You had a much more exciting, like eighteen-year-old gay experience. I did. That was not my experience. Mine was like I was they kissed a boy by some bins. Um, <laughs> better off on the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the thing was, I, I went through a weird phase after that. So I had a diary, like a lot of gays and teenage girls, but not so many straight men that I know of. I had a little diary that. Um, bizarrely i wrote i sometimes wrote encoded greek letters in the greek alphabet if i didn't want someone to know what i was saying um but it was ultimately an incredibly boring piece of work that i don't think anyone would even bother to try and decode but you know my 14 year old self filled an entire page with the word gay i just wrote it over and over and over again i've still got it um, in fact, I've got a picture of it, so I can send it to you later, Scott. It's really funny. It's just this whole page in capitals. Gay, 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 gay. Different sizes, different things. The same way that some people would write, like, I heart Matthew or, you know, uh, Mrs. Sasha Smith, Mrs., you know, what, whatever. It was that kind of thing. And it was just because I was so horrified by that word and the power that that had that i was trying to like indoctrinate myself into you've got to get used to this you've got to be able to write it you've got to be able to say it 
every time you know the news comes on on channel four and they talk about you know people protesting against section 28 or pride and your parents are watching it you can't just get up and leave because it makes you twist in your stomach and you feel so uncomfortable so i was clearly not okay with it but i was trying actively to get better about this being this is a fact this isn't changing i think it's pretty much the way i'm going to be probably for the rest of my life um yeah so i i've got this relic and if i ever gave something to a a museum of of queerness it would be this little diary that just has that word over and over and over again in my 14 year old handwriting hmm. i know it's a bit it's a bit sad isn't it i really want to go back and i think a lot of us feel this way um to our my 14 year old self and i think what i would say to him is not something naff like it's going to be okay but just like you're doing really well you need to go through this like you have to work through this process you're going to do some really stupid things and you're going to be insecure and uncomfortable but i don't think you can just magic that away but in the end it won't be a thing you'll say the word gay with joy and it won't be something that feels like ash in your mouth every time you say it with my friends when i came out to a couple of my friends when i was 15 my closest two friends I used to drop my volume every time I said the word gay. So I'd be talking, you know, the fact that I'm gay and I, I, I'd like people like trying to get it out was really hard. For, for ages, that word was really difficult to say. And unlike some people, I don't think I was, um, I didn't think it was disgusting. I don't remember thinking this is a disgusting thing to be. But I do remember, and this is not a long time ago, I'm, I'm 32 um, so this is not a million years ago, but I had never seen, I, I, I thought gay people didn't fall in love. I honestly had never seen a loving gay relationship modeled. Now I'd watched a bit of Queer as Folk and I knew there was something about bums and tongues and that was blew my mind. Uh, it took me a good 15 years to work that one out. Um, but It can be I, mind-blowing if it's done right though. That is the important thing. Yeah, I know. Well, at the time, when you're still trying to say the word, the, this is something that I think is it has changed. You know, we're not perfect. We've got a long way to go. But there are examples of people having loving same-sex relationships on the telly, in the books, on the films. That they're, they're scant, but they are there. I remember that I had seen presenters, the likes of Graham Norton or whatever. I'd seen drag queens and whatnot, but I had never seen a man and another man, like, embrace, not in, like, a an aggressive, sexual, heated, but actually in a, I love you, and I'm going to support you. That was never shown for me. So that was the devastating thing. I thought that because I was gay, I was never allowed to be in love. I knew that I was going to have sex, probably. Someone would let me and, you know, tell me what the deal was with the bums and the tongues. Um but I, I never thought that you'd have all the other stuff, that you'd get Valentine's Day if you wanted it, or that you would have a little shoulder to cry on or watch Avatar The Last Airbender together. Some, something like that was beyond my comprehension. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I know there were quite a few people at university. This was kind of around the 2000s. I'm slightly older than you while still being ageless and beautiful. Now what we would see it as some really quite deep-seated homophobia in gays who were like, I'm gay, but it doesn't define me. It's just like, it's just who I have sex with. It's not anything else. My main question at this point from what you're saying is, so what helped that to change? What was it that you, that helped change that so that you started to see or feel that you could be worthy of love, as it were? If you don't mind telling us, feel free to tell us. Yeah, um, I'm being nosy. I, it, the thing that changes is a lot that what you're describing because i i said all those words i said i remember saying oh I, i'm gay but it doesn't mean that like i'm good at shopping and I, I came up with all that internal homophobia probably up until the age of 20 i was still coming out with stuff like that because the you know the queer community i, I wasn't part of it at that stage i didn't have a gay friend the fact is i actually did but I didn't know at that stage. <laughs> he took a bit bit longer to come out. Uh, but, you know, at that stage, I thought I was the only gay in the village, which is bonkers because I lived in Camden in London. But, you know, <laughs> no, it's this is another weird thing is I hear from a lot of other gay men who grew up in Manchester in London. And when they hit like 15 or 16, they had that queer as folk experience, which is, you know, they went out to the clubs, they met the older gay guy, they had the unfortunate relationships. I mean, I didn't have my first kiss with another gay man until I was 18. I had my first boyfriend when I was 20. So I was still pretty, like, all for a while, all my friends were straight, or at least outwardly so. So what changed was starting to realise um, that there were other people. And when I spoke to them, realising that it wasn't just about who I wanted to fuck. It was about a shared upbringing. That the fact that if you're listening to this right now, and even if some element of this sparks you going, yeah, I remember, like it's it's a fast forward. Whereas with a, a straight person, you know, even the most loving and you know understanding, sweet ally, you have to do a bit of back history, right? This is what it feels like to have you know to have a secret that feels bigger than the world, and to feel that you have something inside you that you didn't pick that could make people you've never met hate you. It's a very strange sensation. Um, it's kind of like, being, at first, it's like being told that you have a parasite. 
and then discovering that it isn't a parasite, it's possibly a superpower or it's it's something that's just cool and, and different. So the difference that happened was I started to make gay friends. So I made my, my closest gay friend um, first year of university. And we just would stay up all night and just talk. And there were so many moments of, oh, my God, yes. And like that. And live and kicking Superman, right? Oh, my God, his abs, totally. Like, there was this instant connection um, that I'd never had before. And so that started to make me realize, you know, this thing is, it's more than just who I'd like to have sex with. It's something I want to learn more about. I want to know about the history. I want to know about the people who came before me. I want to know about where we're going in the future. I want to know about people that are younger than me. Can I help them? Um, so that's what, what helped me to come to terms with my identity. But it was, you know, it wasn't an, it wasn't an easy or straightforward path. I said some really dumb things when I was 19. Uh, you know, I, I think I was occasionally uh, misogynistic, biphobic, transphobic, in trying to deal with my sexuality because I was so uncomfortable with it, I would I would say things that now would make me just want to cringe. Um, but yeah, I, I'd want to go back to my vulnerable self and just be like, just think a little bit before you speak. Other people are going through stuff too that is not like yours, but is similar. Be be kinder, um, be more patient. And this thing that's inside you, it's actually, it's fine. And all the stuff that you want, you can still have. I was going to add, it is a lot to put on a teenager. It's really, all teenagers, straight, gay, bi, trans, lesbian, whatever. Puberty is hard. It's really difficult. All my straight friends didn't have an easy ride trying to hook up with people of the opposite gender. But at the same time, when the only models that you've got of sex are like, you know, skin tight, black leather, drugs, loud techno, there's nothing wrong with that. But when that's the only image you have and you're like, you're still terrified of kissing someone and yet you're jumping all the way to friggin' analingus, it's it's quite, a, you know, there's, there was no like paper trail that was like, here's how you know, two gay men might kiss and then they might hold hands and then they might date and then they might do this. It was like... The stuff you're going to get on telly, the telly is violent, penetrative sex. It was naught to kink. And you just need maybe a, a few stepping stones to find your way. I know that I did the same thing where I said and did stupid, stupid, cringeworthy, homophobic, transphobic, biphobic things. But nowadays, I would never even think of acting like that now or saying those things now. But in perhaps if we needed a defence, not that there really is one, but you know, like you say, we're we were all going through shit, and also yeah. we didn't have the same. Like there was no internet when I was growing up. We had the dial-up one where I had to make sure my mum wasn't going to try and ring my nan halfway through downloading a song on Napster because yes, I'm old. And even when the internet was around, there wasn't that much of that kind of thing on it. Most of it was porn, and and it took a long time to really square all that stuff off and be like hey yeah actually it's not just me i am not the the main character of the whole universe i am just one person trying to deal with my shit and everyone else is doing the same thing maybe i could be a bit less of a dick about it yeah. but it takes time and you know i think it's good that people nowadays have all those resources and things and uh, and like you say it's it's great when i can help youngins with stuff that they need but it's also i i look at 18 19 year olds now and they're doing much better than i was at the time or they seem to be at least 
the thing to remember is that people that are hurting often hurt people. Um, that's 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 a shame, but it is it is the case. I'm amazed. I'm in awe of younger people. Um, I was lucky enough to do a project with a group of queer young people in Thetford, and they're just they're so comfortable. If they're not comfortable now, that they're already on their way to be comfortable with who they are, with their gender, sexuality, all of that stuff. The way they use words, it's just poetry. They just jump, you know, between these ideas with such fluidity and simplicity. It's it's really heartwarming. Compared to my very clunky, I was trying to like, okay, so I'm not this box. Then I'm going to build this other box, which I will live in. And this box looks like this. In terms of like my experience, I mean, we had internet, but it was the early days. So it was MSN, Napster, very much remember. I would never have gone and um, gone onto a gay porn site. God, because what if my parents saw? So I, I didn't do a lot of that stuff. I, I got my rocks off in the most bizarre ways. I had a print off with the cover of a men's health magazine, which I hid in my sister's didgeridoo. That's not a euphemism. An actual didgeridoo, which amazingly, when I was about 28, I was back home just with my parents for a bit. And uh, I found the didgeridoo and it was still scrunched up inside. I was like, oh my God, it was like Tomb Carmoon's tomb. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. The queer community, I love the queer community and I love I love the gays. I, I think we're we're lovely and wonderful. But I think all of us tend to have gone through a very strange puberty, which which required us to secret things away like squirrels, like dig dig and hide hide things. And also do do things that are like almost a bit stalkery. Like I remember when Adam Price, apologies if you're listening, Adam, he knows this, I told him years later, I had a huge crush on his straight. And I, um, he, his homework diary, he accidentally put it in my book bag. I don't know how. And mm, I went, accidentally. no, honestly, because I got home, I took my diary out and then his was there too. And I, and I was, knew I had to give him a call because I, I knew that a friend had his number, but I fancied the password. So I went through his whole diary just because I was just like, there was nothing interesting in there. It was all just like double Spanish homework and maybe like a doodle from some other boy. But I was just like, I want to know your brain. <laughs> yeah. oh. Fine. When Harry Appleby lent me his um, his water bottle on sports day, I uh, took it home with me and I kept it under my bed for about four months. Just a water bottle because it was his. Creepy. Like it made me go a bit Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I think the thing was that I couldn't express it by telling any of my friends at that stage and just having a little like phone call. Oh, I really fancy so and so. So it was just me in my own brain. So I had to find these slightly weird little secret ways of satisfying my my secret desires. And so I do think it's something that we all have to work through. It's a not in our life story that when you come a bit later you have to go right some of these things i learned when i was 14 these don't work in a relationship these are not things that you can do to another person uh, these are not kind ways of behaving these are not expectations that you should have so I, I think there's a lot of unlearning that you have to do my first three relationships that i remember having so my first three boyfriends well i say relationships like some of them last few weeks <laughs> but these were like my first it was all about you know, those relationships started and ended because they were two, basically two young men who were just kind of like, oh, do you like me? Okay, well, if you like me, then I guess I like you. And then, okay, uh, oh, okay. And with no understanding how to create a relationship or how to 
it was just three three kind of very awkward, strange setups. They were lovely guys, actually. I was lucky enough that none of them were well, one of them was a bit of a dick. But <laughs> but like I think he was only a dick because he was going through the same sort of stuff the rest of us were, but we just weren't primed. We were it was like we were doing the work that a lot of our straight friends did when they were twelve, but we were doing it when we were nineteen. We were still like feeling out like it was like playing kiss chase. Oh, you like me. Okay, I like you. Okay, oh no, I don't actually. Yeah, very, very silly. Um, it took a long time for me to be able to actually form mature relationships. Uh, and I hope that is different for young people today. I, I think it is. I have a lot of faith. I was also going to um, talk a little bit about the grand coming out story, just because I think Ooh, everyone. Yes. Yeah. So um, I love a good coming out story. Go for it. I mean, you always have to go there with the gays. And this is another one of those things. It's one of those strange things when a straight person asks you, having only met you for five minutes, what's your coming out story? It's always like, what the fuck? Are you serious? If a gay person asks me that, I'm like, oh my God, yes, you first. Then. <laughs> okay. Well, paint, paint your word picture, but take us, transport us to okay, the world so. of your, of your coming out. Okay, so so the year is, let me try and do my maths, uh, 2003, I believe, okay. and we are in Greece. We are on holiday. Wow. I know, fancy. Uh, with my mum and dad, this is the worst time when you're 15, you have some of the worst family holidays. If you're lucky enough to go on holiday, I know, privilege, privilege, but some of the worst family vacations you can possibly have because you're at that age where you desperately want to be out like drinking vodka and dancing and being cool um but you're also way too young to be able to do that you can't go anywhere by yourself so you just sit there moodily question me drink uh, reading stephen king with floppy greasy hair that's what i did for like eight for the whole holiday just write read stephen king my friend's um mum uh, sorry my mum's friend was also out there and she for some reason was cutting her husband's hair this is pre-COVID, but apparently 2003 was DIY haircut land with a pair of kitchen scissors. And of she course. just was smoking 60 fags, as you did back then, um, and just said something like, oh, I don't want to cut it too short because he'll look like a puff. And at this stage, my mum cracked up and laughed. And then she said yeah, something along the lines of like, you're right, he would look like a total puff with short hair. And everything inside me seized up. Because um, it was such a silly little statement, but it was hearing my mum laugh at a homophobic um, statement. Um, so it was like a, a validation of the fact that um, that maybe my parents wouldn't accept me. And uh, so I, I just got up and quietly left and went back to when my dad was in another room. And I just kind of sat down and um, basically just started crying. Um, I couldn't really say it. And he was asking me what was wrong. And finally, I'm just sort of like, choke it up um and say what was going on and say you know i think i'm actually definitely probably maybe okay um and well I, on this holiday on this holiday i know oh, of all wow. times i trapped with your parents this is a great time to come out sasha um and my dad was actually um incredible so he said he basically said he knew that it was going to be harder for me that he knew that um, my life was going to be more difficult. But other than that, nothing had changed. And that was all I wanted to hear, was that nothing had changed. So I stayed up all night and I read The Prisoner of Azkaban. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, basically just kind of, that was my therapy. 
J.K. Rowling, who has now sadly become the nemesis and uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminist we all fear. But at that time, that was where I escaped to. Spent all night reading Harry Potter, came downstairs and knew my parents had been talking to each other. So my mum and dad had been chatting and dad had told mum. And the first thing my mum said to me, first thing, having just heard that her son is gay, was you are aware that anal sex is very painful. That <laughs> to her 15 How does years, she know, Sasha? How no, does she know? She told me how she knew. That's the kind of mum I have. She is a wonderful ex-hippie artist. Um, and I think that little laugh, that little burst of homophobia, that was just a kind of unfortunate blip. Generally, my mum has been incredible. And particularly since coming out, she has, you know, within a few years, there was a Stonewall poster on the inside of the bathroom door. Uh, so I think, <laughs> okay, get over it. I was like, okay, mum. Um but yeah, I remember that feeling. And, and I know that other people's coming out stories are much harder. I know I had it quite easy. But the one thing I'd say is whenever you ask someone about their coming out, it's a bit like asking about a scar. So if you see a scar on someone's face, right? Because it could have been a silly accident. The story could be, oh, I tripped over. Or when I was a baby, I fell out my cot. Or it could be horrendous. The only thing you know about the scar is that when it happened, it hurt. Like there was, there was some pain, some level of pain was left and it left a mark. So those, that's the thing about coming out stories. I've never heard a coming out story that was just pure ease. Even the best ones, there has to be a level of anxiety and secret keeping. So, yeah. And then my dad played me Bronski B. <laughs> and that was how, that's how we, we basically kind of, I understood that he was okay with it. He played me small town boy. When we got back home, one of his old LPs, and we had a little like, yeah, I don't know. That's so sweet. Thank you for sharing that. It's important because you touched on this, and I'm aware we're running out of time, which is sad because I could sit here and talk to you all night. One of the things that we should mention is it was a, a brave and potentially not a great idea to come out to them when you're on holiday and you're trapped and there's no way you can go. Something that perhaps we should mention as where everyone's currently stuck at home, possibly not in the most nurturing of environments. Really be sure if you're going to come out during lockdown because you've nowhere to go. And, yeah. you know, I'm all about people living their authentic lives and being true to themselves and all that thing. But at the moment, even then, like, you've still got to survive is the thing. Yeah. And if I, would, come I would model that as the thing to do. And I would say definitely that I never feared for my safety. And if I had, it would have been a very different you know, state. Like I said, I, I come from a place of privilege in that I knew that my parents were hippie and arty and they had some gay friends as far as I knew. So I had that to go on. Um, so I won't model this, but I think sometimes coming out can be, it's a different experience for everyone, but it is you know, it, it's got to be done when you want to do it, when you're able to do it, when you feel comfortable and safe doing it. It's never easy, but it should only be done when you know that you're going to be safe, obviously. But that's each to their own. Everyone has got to, to go through that journey at some point in any time. There's no, it's never too late. It's never too early. It's, it's just within your own life story when it works and when it's okay for you. And you know what? If you never come out to your family because they are never going to be okay with it, 
power to you. That's your choice, right? It's your life. Um, and as long as you get to live your life and your existence, um, it's them that's, that's, that are losing out. I knew that they were going to be okay with it. And I was still terrified, terrified. So however, whatever process, I, I can understand anyone that is struggling with that. We, we all understand what that feels like. It's horrible. Yeah. If people wanted to get in touch or see more of uh, museums from home or just more of your work, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I dwell in the horrible land that is Twitter. So my name is Sasha Coward. That's S-A-C-H-A downspace C-O-W-A-R-D. And that's me. And you'll see all my ramblings. Uh, apologies. I tweet far too much. Thank you so much for this. And uh, if you haven't already, people go and search the hashtag museums, museums from home or museums at home? Museum singular from home. So museum from home. Imagine museum is a verb. So didn't say any of this. I'm a museum worker. Locked, lockdown means I don't get to work in museums. So I talk about museums and get other people to share fun historical art and science facts online with museum from home. Hashtag. I am still doing a daily one minute video of me talking very, very fast about something I think is cool. And they are all awesome. I've, I'm a big fan. I've been watching them every day. So thank you. Thank you, Scott. Uh, no worries. And uh, thanks for listening to this, our first live episode. I hope it went all right. I've, I've, I've thrown my laptop away, so I, I, it's on my bed over there. So I can't do the theme tune to kind of play us out. Uh, so you'll just have to imagine it. Bow. Now it goes dun 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 dun. Was probably true. The multi-award-winning storytelling series, written and produced by me, the multi-award-winning Scott Flashheart. It was designed to remind all of my queer siblings that we are none of us alone. You can find links, transcripts of every episode, and all that good stuff at probablytruepodcast.com. If you enjoyed or found value in anything you've heard today, you can support the show on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash probablytrue. And if you want to get in touch, just search Probably True Podcast on the socials. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.